Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Clayberry, your host, and with me today, both co-hosts, Y. Lou. Hey, Y. And Caleb Wells. Sean. Hey, Don. Hey, y'all. How's hey, it going? Hey, you're never <laughs> going to guess who we have on the show today. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, I know. You know. <laughs> i give you a hint. His name is Mads. Isn't well, that, that, that narrows it down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> We are lucky enough to have on our show today, Mads Torkinson. Welcome, Mads. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Happy to hear you all three. <laughs> yeah, well, it's great to have you on the show. It's uh, not often we get uh, somebody that is such well-known as you and, and such important in our industry. So we've had some big ones, but you're right up there. I'll have to oh. give you a, a good pat down. Thank you. You, so, you know, when, when you got scheduled, we were like, wait a minute, is this who we think it is? We're like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so this will, this will be a good one. Yep. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So Mads, uh, why don't you take us back to the beginning? We're going to talk mainly about C-sharp today. So back when C-sharp first came about, what was the need for C-sharp? Was VB not good enough? <laughs> well, it's funny you should ask, because even though I've been at Microsoft for a long time. I wasn't actually there when C Sharp came out. I had a I had a brief stint during my PhD. I was uh, an intern at Microsoft Research in Cambridge, which was involved already back then in 99 before .NET and C Sharp were made official. And so I did get a, a bit of a look at what was being planned and, and how it was being talked about. It was definitely a respond to a developer need. Microsoft hadn't done so well in the Java space. We essentially had the choice for developers for the Windows platform, as it was all about back then for us. They had a choice between C++ or Visual Basic. And there was that was sort of like very low level or quite high level. And there was sort of a need for something that was a lot more in between those levels of abstraction and also generally high level of abstraction, but better able to reach down into the depths. And also something that, that had a little more of a familiar curly-braced syntax for the you know, the developers we wanted to attract. So it wasn't really so much about expressiveness in the beginning. Like there, there isn't a language that can cover these bases. It was mostly like, there isn't one Microsoft can use, so let's make our own. It's, it was a little bit of a, if you can't join them, beat them <laughs> kind of move, as I understand it, that some Java had hit a nerve in terms of being C-like, but much more approachable, garbage collected, compared to C++ maybe for many developers, but it did lack some 
low-level reach. And so C-sharp came about as sort of a, a mix of that high level with a whole unsafe subsystem and the structs and other things that made the language a little more complex from the get-go, but also let it span the layers of abstraction better. Does that answer your question? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, speaking of somebody that, that's worked with VB and VB.net and C++, you know, I'm really glad that they did decide to come out with, with C-sharp. So I've been using it for quite some time. And so it's it's really nice. So in 20 here, plus here. years, we've kind of gone from, you know, C-sharp version one, we're now at 10, 11's coming. Yeah. So it seems like things have really sped up recently, you know, from going, it seems like it's average every two years, but really it hasn't because it's eight, nine, 10 and 11. It really came really quickly at the end. That's true. I don't know if you look at sort of the the feature velocity, <laughs> like how much is the language growing per year on average in terms of new features? I don't think it's changed all that much. I haven't actually done any math on this. I don't know how I would even do it. But the main thing that happened was that uh, after we moved to the .NET Core-based runtimes and they moved on to a yearly schedule, we decided to follow along with C-sharp as well and, and release a new C-sharp every year with a new major version number. And that's just different. It means that It means that there are more versions <laughs> over time, but it also means that people get access to new features more often. So we decided, man, we're gonna we're gonna live with it for now. You know, it might get confusing when we get to what's new in C sharp twenty eight over twenty seven. <laughs> but we'll see when we get there. Yeah, I don't know if those book writers are loving it or hating it. <laughs> I I don't either and we did get some comments on it when we decided to follow <laughs> along there. I think at the end of the day, .NET has .NET has a little bit of a to release cycle in in terms of the long-term supported releases, LTS releases, if you will. Every other release, I think every even numbered release of .NET is a is a long-term, is an LTS, as we call it, long-term service. So a long-term support. And while we don't have the same notion on the language, we don't we don't really think about whether a feature goes into one kind or the other it still gives kind of like a two-year cadence that people can snap to instead if they don't want to print books every year, which I can understand if you don't. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, the language, I suppose, wouldn't have any breaking is, changes, right? That is generally speaking true. Break old um, code. It is. It, I mean, it, it's been, and this is the case for mo- most programming languages, you, you, you try really hard not to break things. And we do, when we design new features, we do spend a lot mm. of time making sure that they don't break in first for some value of don't <laughs> that they don't break existing code it's not something we want to do and we mm. we never take a feature out or significantly change what it means i will admit that since moving to dotnet core we've played a little more with the boundary of i mean there's always been esoteric breaking changes like if you really really bend over backwards you can you can have some code that breaks in the next release and we've sort of tinkered with that boundary a little more in order for features to be better and not as and and not have as many arbitrary little wrinkles on them. This is something that we can do better in the in the .NET Core context because you can decide which version of .NET you're running on. In the old days in the classic .NET framework, it was a Windows component and so we really really had a high bar for breaking changes because your code could run in places where Things were different. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So that is, mm. but the philosophy is let's not break people, you know. Are there any changes if there were, that you, you want to make or do over 
with with some of the things and maybe maybe you could put it behind a flag it's like okay somebody is starting a new project they could set the flag they, okay give me the latest version of of c sharp that you know i don't care about everything but the feature before if those are broken because i'm just going to start from new and and do it that way so we talked about it many times but we really don't want to have I mean, essentially, I mean, the newest compiler has a language version switch, even you know, the flag that you can pass it to say use C sharp five, and we really don't want to have too many branches in the in the compiler code base. In particular, we try hard to avoid having the same thing have subtle different semantics depending on what version you're in. Like, it does this if you're before C sharp seven, and this if if you're after C sharp seven, that just leads to madness, a maintenance madness, and a quality madness, and all. In, it's not good for users either. <laughs> so we we have backed away from that so far, and I until we really find ourselves up against the wall for some reason, I think we'll try not to do that. Is there anything in the language that, if you could remove it, right, ignoring the breaking changes or, or the impacts, something that you think deters from the language or makes things more difficult or whatever? Is there something that you would remove? Um, I, there are a few things I would remove just because they became essentially obsolete with lack of foresight. Mm-hmm. You know, in C Sharp 2, gotcha. we added anonymous methods. And in C Sharp 3, we added lambdas, which are the same but better. <laughs> so so that was just like a, you know, like gotcha. a start. Yeah. And we could, if I could, I, I wouldn't have those in the language to begin with. We just have them in there for compat. And there are a few things like that where it's just, that's just not the way to do it anymore. And then there are a few things about how the language works that I wish were different. <laughs> we have, um, I mean, one of my favorite examples is is delegates and and events and the way those two tie together. Events are a language feature for eventing using a subscription model, like a subject observer model, or what people call it. That, that's I think that's what the observer pattern. I think is what the design pattern book calls it, and that's baked into the language. And that was like. Obviously, how you would do eventing back then, or how you would sort of like have a um, a mechanism for propagating change, notably in in UIs, but also in other places. So that so they're like, oh, let's stick this in the language. This is before my time, so I can I can beat on them freely. But of course, that hasn't really stood the test of time. Events should not be a language feature. And what's worse is that we then designed this weird data structure called delegates that. Most of what people use them for now is that they're just sort of like a function type, a name declared function type. You have func of action already in the library, and that's usually what you use. And that's nice enough. That's fine. But few people realize, or when they do, they kind of try to forget it again, that delegates are also a collection type. A delegate can actually accumulate a list of functions of identical signature. And then when you call it, it'll call them all. And give you one of the results, and I can't. I can't even remember if it's the first or last, or depending on what order you concatenated them. And that's a plus operator that applies between delegates, and that gives you the combined delegate of whatever functions were in the in those two. And so like that. So essentially, a delegate is a Franken hybrid between collections and function types. That is just so weird and bizarre and obscure and impossible to reason about, and it drags delegates down for their function type purposes that I wish we hadn't done that. But they're but they're so entrenched as the function type that if we went and said, ah, we can do better function types in C sharp and added that, then that was sort of just it would have a hard time getting uptake, right? Because all our all the libraries out there are already in terms of delegates. So we just 
we just live with it. And there are things like that where we just say, okay, it might not be what we would do today, but eh, water under the bridge, we'll live with it. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're a beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. I think any application that's 20 years old would, or anything, any code that's yes. 20 years old would have this yeah. sort of yeah. technical debt, right? So I think you guys have done pretty well. So how about so. Uh, favorite things in language? Maybe some things that uh, people might be underutilizing that, that they really should be using more? Uh, good question. I always... Whenever I'm working on a specific feature, I always fall in love with it so bad, <laughs> and, and that'll be my. Favorite. So what do you what are you working? That'll be my favorite. What's, favorite. What's your... Well, the um, one of glad you ask. <laughs> so we have several <laughs> features that I really like that are coming into C sharp eleven. The biggest one by far in terms of impact is abstract static members in interfaces. So so an inter- we're we're all used to abstract and or virtual members being instance members naturally, right? We're now making it so that they can be static members. And the way that that works is so an interface can say, my my implementing classes instructs, they should have this static member. And then we force those implementers to have those static members. And then you can, you can do generics. You can have a generic method that with a type parameter T that's constrained by this interface. And now you can call static methods on T. And what's that good for? Well, the main thing that we're pushing on right now, there's several things that it's good for, and we're finding more and more, but the main thing that we're pushing right now is that operators, like user-defined operators in C-sharp, are static members. And so what this gives us is an ability to have interfaces that abstract over what operators you have. Like an interface can say something with a plus operator some and a minus operator and, and a zero static property and whatnot. Like it can say these static things that are mathy. <laughs> and then types can implement that. Your own types can implement that. We implement these. So we, so alongside with this language feature, we built a whole, and I say we, but it's not me. <laughs> My colleagues built a whole tree of interfaces representing math, and we implemented those interfaces and all the primitive types and all the mathy types that are in the framework. And we implemented overloads of all the algorithms in uh, system.math that generic overloads that now, instead of being an average for int and an average for for long and an average an average method for each primitive type, there's now also one that takes a t, and t is constrained by i number of t, and then that will apply to everything that implements i number. So, and think about building a matrix type that has an element type that is t constrained by i number. Now you can do matrix operations generically over this matrix type without knowing what its element type is, because you know that when you do a cross product or whatever, whatever the the element type is, it is capable of doing the pluses and multiplications and so on in terms of operators that you needed to do to do the matrix level operation. So that is just so expressive. 
And there are a few other things that it can be used for as well. It's really good for abstract factories and things like that. I'm playing with code today that that is also that is using it just because I realized that I could save a bunch of code by by using this new feature. And it, yeah, so I love that one because it just brings fundamental new expressiveness that is just awesome and really opens up for math scenarios that .NET and C Sharp haven't really been very expressive around. You can do specific things with specific primitive types, but it hasn't really been very good when it comes to abstracting over generic algorithms over numbers. And um, now you can do that. So we're looking really much forward to shipping that and seeing what communities kind of pick that up and flourish around it. How many members are on the C Sharp team? Oh, depends on how you count. There isn't really, there isn't organizationally, there isn't really a C Sharp team. There's a compiler team that builds C Sharp and VB. There's an IDE team that builds support for C Sharp and VB and there's F Sharp. And so from an organizational point of view, it's kind of entangled. But there is a C Sharp design team, which is a, a V team. Like it's not organizationally a team, but it's a set of people that I meet with every week and we sit down and design the next version of C Sharp together. Well, how do you how do you decide what goes into the next version? A lot about community is feedback. It's all about community feedback and changed. things like that dramatically when we when we took C Sharp open source a good half decade ago, where we now have it started out that C Sharp language design and C Sharp compiler lived in the same repo. Um, we since separated it so that C Sharp Design has its own GitHub repo that's public and that has a bunch of participation. So everything we do related to C Sharp Design is all our all artifacts related to it just live there, publicly accessible and and folks contribute. Oftentimes, just their comments and thoughts, anger occasionally, and um, <laughs> and uh, but also folks suggest features. Folks that don't work for Microsoft also suggest features and implement language features. So the feedback loop is really like on a day-to-day basis nowadays. Instead of like every two years, you release something and you hope they like it. <laughs> a couple of my favorite features, which I actually haven't used in a while because they're they're kind of niche is dynamic and expandable objects, uh-huh. right? And those aren't things you would necessarily expect to see in something like C-sharp or an object-oriented language, but we had a use case where they would come in handy and they made a huge difference. How do you go about adding functionality like that or like functional programming into C-sharp, which is, you know, an object-oriented language, right? Well, this, that's a really good question. We've added a lot of features over the years that originated from functional programming languages also. And the, the, the big challenge is adding something from sort of, quote unquote, out of town, metaphorically speaking, something from it um, that has a different flavor to it. How do you adapt it to have to feel like C-sharp? How do you bring the value of it into C-sharp without it feeling like a foreign element that kind of doesn't gel so well with other features. With dynamic, we went out of our way to make sure that the that the semantics of member lookup and so on that you would get on a dynamic were the same, that the overload resolution, everything was the same as you would get in the in the static compiler, just happened at runtime. I I'm not sure that was the right choice because it has some it has some performance consequences that mean that dynamic is certainly not for for every scenario, it, it it's very heavy from a runtime performance perspective. It essentially does a bunch of compiler work at runtime, <laughs> but that was how we kind of tried to do that. And similarly with um, with features from functional programming, we try to make them 
work well in an object-oriented context. And that's where a lot of the design work comes in. If you look at how we did pattern matching, for instance, it's a, a concept that's been in functional languages for many, for decades and decades. And fitting that in to C Sharp naturally was, took a lot of going around in circles and design, but, but I think landed in a really good place once we, um, once we figured out what the, what the opening was. Essentially, we found the places in C Sharp that were already pattern match and matching like in a very limited way. There was the, the switch statement and there was the is expression. They're both places where you're sort of saying, you're essentially testing a value for what it's like, you know? And then we, based on that, we were able to essentially unify is expressions and, and uh, switch statements by generalizing them to, to work over patterns, which is this new concept. Is expressions only worked over types before. Switch, expre- uh, switch statements only worked over constant values, constant integral values. And we generalized those two uh, things into patterns. There were type patterns and constant patterns. And now you could use them both in, in both. And you could introduce variables. And for like, you, instead of just saying, if O is string, you can say, if O is string S, so now not only do you know it's a string, but you also have a name for it as a string. And so, and so it was, we sort of fit it in natural to where people already knew the features and, and grew it from there. But it's, that's a long slog because you can't just, people say, can you just, I mean, another example that we haven't done is discriminated unions. People say, can't you just add discriminated unions to C sharp? And we're like, yes, we could, but then it wouldn't feel like C sharp. We have to really figure out what it means to do that in C sharp in a way that still it feels natural and that adds enough value on top of what's already there. So yeah. if you start shoehorning stuff in, it really, it can hurt the language, right? Or it makes it more difficult to use. Yeah. So I understand that. Absolutely. I think that we, cool. if you look at something like C++, C++, uh, people love to bash on C++, but it's an amazing language. And, but one of the things that has happened to some degree over the years is that you get different communities each using their own subset of C++. They have sort of like babelization or whatever the word is of where you have your, your template meta programmers and, uh, you know, there, there are various different styles of how you use C++ that are quite separate. And we, we try to avoid making C sharp so broad that you have that many camps of different styles of programming C sharp. It's best if it all if you if the whole toolbox is available to everyone in a natural way. So there's there's a lot of languages that have been around for much longer than than C C sharp, but do you you think that C sharp can continue to evolve and not become cumbersome and bulky and having trying to do too much? I mean that's also a really good question, and it goes back to what we talked about right in the beginning about the breaking changes. <laughs> we can't really take things out because then we break code. And that means every time we add something, the language gets bigger. Occasionally, we can add something that actually conceptually makes the language smaller. If what we add is a generalization, like you can take what were two separate things and they turn into one bigger, more general thing. And that feels really good. It feels like we're we're finally sort of paying a little bulk debt <laughs> back. But most of the time, what we add will add to the concept count. And it's it's an open question whether at some point that'll stop being sustainable. Um, we I think that there's sort of, every time we add a new way of doing the same thing, 
there's sort of an implicit, maybe sometimes an implicit deprecation of the old way, soft, very soft deprecation in the sense that, well, if you ask us, we think you should do it the new way. And you will get a little like tooltip in Visual Studio that'll say, why don't you take this if statement and turn it into a switch expression? That kind of thing. And it'll do it for you. But on the whole, yes, the language grows bigger and bigger. And I, I don't think we fundamentally know how to deal with that. <laughs> so it's gone better than we feared, but we know that it's hard. We try, we have excellent folks working on docs as well. And we try increasingly to build guidance for how you teach the language, for instance. Like, what do we suggest you teach first to someone who's new to C-sharp? Instead of starting with C-sharp 1 and working your way up, that's probably exactly the wrong way of doing it. You should be learning a bunch of things that aren't the best way of doing things anymore. Uh, so what is so what should be what should C sharp one hundred and one look like in in this day and age? You know, we can give some guidance on that and and kind of help maybe shape some consistency there. But it's fundamentally just hard, and we we just try our best to do things tastefully and only when we think it's valuable enough and in a way that jars as little as possible with what's already there and then see how long we can go. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Okay, so I think we're uh, just about out of time. So I'm going to move us on to uh, picks for today. So uh, do you want to do your pick, Caleb? What do you got? Sure. So, right, I'm trying to be healthier. Aren't we all some point in our lives trying to be healthier? Yeah. And uh, so I'm drinking less coffee, but I'm drinking more tea, right? And yeah, maybe it has some caffeine in it, but, you know, not much. And I found tea at Trader Joe's that I really love, right? I mean, I can drink this stuff all day long. And it's Trader Joe's Moroccan Mint Green Tea, right? And it has, you know, just enough mint. And so that is my pick, for today. And if you don't have a Trader Joe's near you, it is actually on Amazon. I don't know if it's sold by Trader Joe's. You may be getting a markup from, from some enterprising redistributor. But yeah, that's my pick. Okay. All right. Why? What's your pick? So yeah, my pick this week is a um, an Oculus Quest game that I've started playing. It's called Walkabout Mini Golf. So um, it's basically just mini golf, but it's really fun. It's got, it's got a really cool kind of multiplayer mode. So I was just playing my friend last night and yeah, it's pretty cool. It's just like mini golf and you can kind of chat with people and things like that. It's just a, because he, he lives in Melbourne, which is pretty far away um, for me. So it's kind of good to kind of just catch up with him over VR. Kind of glad that we live in a world where there's VR now that you can just catch up with your friends remotely or that. So, cool. All right. So uh, my pick yeah, this week pick. is I recently was in the market for picking up a different boom arm for my microphone. I had another boom arm and it seemed to not like lightweight microphones. The springs in it were, were much too strong. So every time I tried to pull it down, I had to really crank down on the, the knobs to lock in the elbows and the, everything like that. So I went and f searched around and I found this new one. It's made by Elgato. So you, a lot of people are familiar with their little switches for doing podcasts and, and YouTube and things like that. So I picked up one of their boom arms and this one is actually called Low Profile and it actually goes horizontal. So versus having the going up and then down and bending in that way, this one actually rotates horizontally 
So it can actually have go underneath your monitor from behind your desk and reach out that way and, and move back and forth. They do have another version of it that's, that is the old up and down. And uh, it is also really nice. And that one, you can actually go up and over your monitors if you, if you want to go that way. But uh, check out the Wave Mic Arm LP by Elgato if you're in the market for uh, a boom arm for your microphones. The cat. <laughs> All right. All right, Mads, do you have a pick for our audience? Um, sure. I'll pick a book just so we can we're get into four different, very different categories here. A book that I've, I've finished recently. We have a, a local author here in Seattle, uh, Neil Stevenson, that I'm uh, quite fond of. Many, I think many folks in the, um, in the software industry may know about Cryptonomicon that he wrote a while ago. But, uh, his recent book, Termination Shock, was just a very, a very fine read. He, he nerds a lot. The books are usually about a thousand pages. So it's not for everyone, but I like his language and I like the way that he, he just speculates about everything. It's very nourishing to me. So, um, so that will be my pick. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Mads, for uh, spending some time with us today. And I'm sure you've got a lot of things to do. You know, C Sharp's 11 is only, you know, six, seven months away, <laughs> maybe eight months. So you're busy. Don't trust me so thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for thanks for inviting me on. This was great. I, I had a fun time. Good. If our listeners have questions and they want to uh, get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? I'm occasionally on Twitter as Matt Torgerson. Uh, Matt Torgerson, just one long word. If you are, if you have C sharp specific proposals or uh, that kind of thing, go on our on our GitHub repo, which is .NET. Uh, C-sharp lang. That's the best place to bring language okay. ideas and questions, I think. Yeah. I mean, with language being open source, you know, people can just dig in there, figure out how it works, and then uh, add things that they think could be useful. That's right. All right. If our listeners want to get in touch with the show, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, give us feedback. Let us know what you things you want us to cover. They can reach me at Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I'm something with my name in it. Uh, Caleb Wells Coates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we'll catch everybody else on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.